you know, it's like how your coffee was in the morning, you know, that can have an effect on a choice you make a couple of hours later. Whether you, you got lost on the way to work, that can affect what you do. You know, I mean, endless, you know, there's so many permutations about why you end up making the choices you make when you're shooting something. Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Poonam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Today's guest is Danny Cohen, who studied social sciences at Sheffield Polytechnic and had a long-time interest in photography, particularly stills photography. Danny went on to become a photographic technician at Middlesex Polytechnic and then a camera assistant on documentaries commercial music videos and films for eight years, subsequently working as a cinematographer. Danny has worked on productions such as The King's Speech, for which she was nominated for an Oscar, This Is England, Florence Foster Jenkins' Room, and Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, to name a few. Hi, Danny. Hello. Thank you for coming on the podcast. That's okay. So you're a cinematographer, and my first question would be, what does that involve for you? It's basically, I mean, your responsibility is about creating the images, the look of the film, how things are lit, and then everything that sort of trickles down from those kind of broad areas of how you work. And then it's like working with the director, working with the production designer to kind of, in prep on a film, come up with a direction where there's a kind of coherent overall look to a fit or brings a look to a film and kind of works and kind of in conjunction helps tell the story or move the move the narrative forward so it's kind of you can break it down into specifics you know like working on set working with the crew relationship with the director relationship with the production designer costume designer uh you know so it's one of those things where it's a it's a simple term but then it's kind of many tendrils go throughout the kind of process of making a film. And you mentioned, you touched upon the relationship with the director and production designer. How important are those? And from your experience, what kind of dynamics do those relationships have? Every every film you do, even if the people potentially are people you have worked with before, what changes the dynamic of the process is, is the story you're telling. And then how you kind of put the put the whole story together and then how you begin to tell it. What inevitably influences the style of a film is the actual story you're telling and then how you go about it and you know then then it breaks down into things like whether it ends up being in a studio or locations you know the time of the year whether you're filming outside a lot or interior scene you know so there's so many with everything there are lots of moving parts so yeah it's never a straightforward thing um talking of which actually it's quite a broad question actually in fairness um what do you think in this day and age um specifically is the importance of storytelling through the medium of um, film and television yeah i mean i'm well i think it's the most important thing because it's why people are prepared to invest their time and watch something you know whether it's going to the cinema if you can get to the cinema at the moment whether you're watching films on tv or you're watching streamed films or episodic telly people wouldn't turn on if they weren't prepared to invest a bit of time kind of watch a story unfold so it's the story the script is everything and 
I'm going to ask you this question because this is a book I loved and I'm sure you've got 101 questions. You've probably been asked 101 questions about this specific job, but you were the cinematographer for the film The Room, which is based yeah. on a, a novel. Cool. It's, it's called Room because there is room. another Sorry. film called The Room. Yeah. That's true. Based on a book which is about a woman who's been held captive in this room and she, I won't go too much into the story because people can look that up, but a lot of the yeah. story is set in specifically a room um how was that because it's quite an unusual it's quite a small environment and i imagine it was a set how was that the dynamics of filming in that and then working out how to film something like that and the shots you'd use yeah it's that that's a good example because it's like i think it was we built the interior of the room on a set uh in toronto it was a very very small set and i think the the game there was to try and because you know essentially half the film is in the room I, mm-hmm. I promise not to give too much away because <laughs> you haven't seen it. It's a you know it's a few years old, but it's still quite a, it's a good watch. So essentially, it was like how how do you tell a story when the restrictions and and you're confined to such a small space? I mean, it was the the size of the room was possibly fifteen by twenty foot. So Ethan, the production designer, we, you know, in in um, with Lenny, the director, we kind of we had a bit, you know, chunk of prep time, which is brilliant. And you know, you kind of essentially the prep prep is always about asking lots of questions and trying to come up with interesting answers. So one of the big things was that we kind of ended up deciding was not to, or as much as possible, stay within the confines of that size, that space. So we weren't in the end. We didn't want to move the walls. You know, it's not a big deal these days to build a set where the walls come out and go back in quite seamlessly but I kind of I think we all kind of like the idea of the restrictions it placed on how we told the story I think we took one wall off once for a very specific shot but other than that we really tried to keep it within the the boundary of the room we, one of the things we did do is we had the set was modular so we could take out wall tiles so we could put the lens of the camera right on the kind of wall of the room but have the body of the camera outside so in some instances the lens was poking through just to kind of gain even if it was a few a few inches it just helped give a bit more space for some of the shots but by and large we were filming inside very very consistently and then add to that we tried to shoot because we had quite uh jacob was I think nine or 10 at the time. I can't remember his exact age, but we really wanted to shoot as much as we could with two cameras. So we had the two actors and then two camera operators, just because when you're working with somebody that age, you just don't have a huge amount of screen screen time per day. So the limitations meant that to try and achieve as much as possible whenever we had uh, Jacob on set. Yeah, I guess it's a degree of um, with keeping everything so... I want to say use the word real, but it's not, it's not entirely the word, word <laughs> to use. But nothing, yeah, real. In nothing terms of the real. space, <laughs> yeah, it's magic, isn't it? <laughs> um, there's a degree of authenticity, I guess, that comes with that in yeah, terms I of think, perspective. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what we were, you know, trying to achieve is, yeah, I mean, authenticity is, is a good word because we, we didn't want to cheat the audience, you know, in, in a way. It was, the story is the story and we wanted to kind of tell it in a very simple way, but in a very sort of powerful way. And mm-hmm. I think not getting up to too much jiggery pokery, I think that adds to making it something where it really kind of grabs the audience attention. It's um a really good film and and book Perfect. as well. I should people should read read the book Brilliant. and yeah, watch yeah, the film. Great, <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I I read the script and then read the book. You know, as soon as you read the book, you kind of get 
what a strong story it is. Yeah. And, and then you kind of go, you know, you kind of, um, in that instance, you kind of, Emma, who wrote the book, also adapted the screenplay. Yeah. Emma Donahue, you know, she knew what she was doing. She knew yeah. the story she wanted to tell and was drawing everything out of the novel and kind of integrating it into her screenplay. So it was a kind of really tight script. I guess that you could... It- um there's a word for it when you maintain author's integrity i guess is the term i yeah. guess that's right yeah there was a degree of that you are 100 yeah she was clearly not gonna do anything to water it down or change the tone uh you know so the books are cracking read and i'm sure you know the each kind of fed on the other very successfully um so you touched upon script and i guess that would lead me on to say is that when you i don't know how it works when you pitch for a job and then you get the job or whichever way it is or you've had a working relationship with a director from other jobs um how do you begin um with that production whether it be film or television i think what it, it's always strange because you, you, the way you approach every film is kind of you have an idea in your head about how you want to go forward. But I think it's always, you know, it's lots of conversations. It's lots of, you know, if it's um film where lots of locations, you'll end up kind of going around lots of locations. And it's those times when you're sitting in a van or traveling somewhere or just walking along where you sort of begin to understand what the director's trying to or how he's trying to tell the story. Mm. uh and and you know it, it's never it's never a quick process because it, you know there's inevitably lots to do lots to talk about lots of different locations environments so for, beyond the actual narrative and the script and how you kind of break it down and begin to understand you know where you're going to take it the, the sort of the next layer is all the kind of technical uh rubbish that kind of <laughs> comes part of it you know which is how well how are we going to move the camera around what what bits of kit we're going to use a steady camera or a crane or handheld or you know stick it on a tripod you know there's there are different you know sort of areas you need to cover but whatever the story is whatever the film is it kind of breaks down in the same way every time when you get given a script then translate that into how you're going to shoot it I think it's like with, with everything it's it's you just end up having lots of conversations and kind of you, you, in your head you kind of from my perspective it's like the lighting and what the camera's going to get up to, to be part of the storytelling. But, you know, in every department, you know, like you say, costumes or production design, or, you know, they've all got a goal, which is to, you know, make what they do integrate and be absolutely appropriate for the for that scene of the film. So, you know, I've, I've done things where, I mean, yeah, with costume, it's always interesting where the you know the the actual color and the texture of the costume is a massive deal because that you know that's a large part of what the audience are going to be looking at so heads are only this big but you're seeing more of my top than you're seeing of my head just as a percentage of the screen so that's arguably you know a massive part of the image that people are going to kind of be looking at and then on top of it it's like um you know like the sound department's input on costumes is that you know if you do a period film you don't want uh, materials that are going to be crackly and you know that have from from that point of view that's a big conversation to kind of you know it's massively important so I think everything in every department is always you know it has weight because it has an impact on what people how people experience what they're watching yeah and uh, I guess um, you do camera tests and things like that to kind of establish Especially uh, yeah. with, with costumes and lighting and stuff as well, and makeup, um, to establish how things may 
or do they work or don't they work or um... yeah yeah i mean that's, that's a big big part of it because you know with uh, how costumes look on camera a big part of it is you know how you light it is one thing but also the the process of how the image is going to end up looking so in post-production you you know another part of what I do is you you grade grade the film or color time the film mm. so you're kind of tweaking with colors and contrast and all sorts of things and that has a massive impact on the actual colors of costumes so mm. In some instances where you might put an actor in a dark jacket, you know, like a deep purple. By the time the you've graded the image, if and if you kind of put a little bit more contrast in and you desaturate the colours, so take a bit of colour out, often it can change the the colour from purple to black. Or yeah. you, you and and so you need to have those conversations early on because you know sometimes that's exactly what you're after, but sometimes you want to see a bit of colour and you want to see the texture and, you know, if it's a period thing, the, the what the actual costumes are made of, you know, it's really interesting. So to lose yeah. the detail is a real shame. But if the costume designer kind of knows where you're taking the image, they can kind of build that into what the, ch the choices they make, uh, you know, the end, end, end result or how the costumes look. So it, it's always a case of, you know, you're sort of talking all the time and showing them tests and showing them stuff that you've graded. Uh, and it's all kind of everything. What's weird is that everything always informs everything. You know, it is, it's part, part, you know, inevitably what you never have enough time of is enough of is time because, yes. you know, the, there's always the rush to, or, you know, you have a limited amount of pre-production and then you start and, you know, you want to test everything, show, have these conversations, but it's always kind of, you're always playing catch up. Um, so I'm just going to circle back to your beginnings and my question would be is, how did you get into what you do now? Very, very, in a very convoluted fashion. I mean, I, I, I you know, I'm always amazed when people said, oh, I want to be a cinematographer when I was seven. <laughs> Amazing. I, I, I don't think I knew what I was doing till I was end of my twenties. I probably still didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but basically, I, I did a degree in social sciences at Sheffield Poly, and uh, I mean, I'd always take you know had a big interest in photography. So from social sciences, I ended up through various convoluted uh, you know ins and outs. I, I ended up being a technician, a photographic technician in an art in Middlesex Poly in their graphic design. Oh. Uh, department. So I did that for a few years, and that was lots and lots of photography, darkroom work, uh, sort of helping students with printing and that sort of stuff. And then from there, I kind of made a kind of. I just ended up knowing some people working on documentaries, and I started assisting on small documentaries, and then kind of that you know got things going. And I did documentary work for quite a long time as a camera assistant. That kind of led to commercials. I worked as a clapper loader on commercials for quite a long time. Sorry, what's a clapper loader? So in, in the in the olden days when things were shot on film, it was like you'd in the camera department you'd have a clap loader who loaded the film into the magazines that went on the camera. Ah, uh, okay. So every roll of film was loaded uh, in a dark room or in a in a, a tent and you'd um yeah, uh, you know, on a commercial you'd kind of endlessly do that and then so so within the you'd have a clap loader, you focus puller who's like the first assistant camera who would keep the image sharp and then you know then the camera operator and a cinematographer or director of photography. So I kind of worked as a loader for eight or nine years and I did a little bit of focus pulling, but by then I'd kind of 
you know, it took me eight or nine years of working in the camera department to kind of realize what I was really interested in was lighting and cinematography itself. So then I kind of jumped from assisting to, I started shooting music videos and yeah, little commercials and kind of slowly that sort of change in direction kind of snowballed. And then I guess that's, um, so then that's how you ended up in film. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and the music videos and that was, I mean, that's what's fun about, well, back then you, all, all music videos we shot on film on 16 mil or 35 mil. And then you start working with directors who are kind of moving on doing a bit of narrative film. And then you, I ended up doing lots of short films and then from short films, bits and pieces on TV stuff. And then kind of, you know, once you've done, got that under your belt, you kind of vaguely know what you're doing you know then you know opportunities kind of doors open and kind of move on to i moved on you know small films and you know kind of went that direction oh it's so interesting but um every single week everyone's had a there's it's very rare that there's a direct line into what people are currently doing no um, i mean I, yeah it's always, I mean, I, yeah, yeah I, I didn't do i didn't sort of go down the route of going to a film school which i think would then you know I, you know there are a million different ways of getting into it yeah. so i kind of came to it late in the sense that I'd already done you know completely random stuff but you know your kind of sensibility or your interests kind of Mm. take you down certain avenues and you know and who knows it's kind of it's it's completely random I mean in my case it was but I think you know I think I think whichever way you you approach it I think you know what is really interesting is you, you you begin at one spot and I think what's really valuable you know whether you're at a film school or whether you're taking a different direction is is being able to learn and shoot and learn and shoot because you know the more you shoot the more you learn and you kind of ask yourself questions or you try and work out answers to questions you know because it's in a, I mean weirdly having not been to film school I don't know you know it's one of those things is I'm constantly amazed that it's something you can actually teach because in a way you have to, it's something you need to practice to yeah. understand all the elements that kind of come together to make an image look interesting. Okay, I mean, yeah. film education, I mean, what that lets you do is because it's such a huge, you know, cinematography, but, you know, you can definitely break it down into every element of filmmaking. But, you know, the mm. area I'm in is, the, the you know, there's a massive, is a hundred hundred years worth of films there's all the theory behind it there's all the kind of uh you know different genres different cultures making films in different ways you know there's so much to it it's mm. it's enormous you know it's a massive topic but in a way i'm not that i know how things are done at film school but it, having that space or two years or three years to go into you know sort of minute detail about uh, a very specific thing sounds amazing it's, you know <laughs> <laughs> it's the sort of thing that because you it's an opportunity where you can really kind of scratch the surface and get into kind of how things are done and so you know in a way the the beauty of that sort of education is is it's probably it's an opportunity you'd have that in other routes to the same goal wouldn't you know be as accessible so it's, it's a, just an amazing opportunity even even if it's just watching you know i watch lots of films but the the opportunity to just watch films all day every day for months on end sounds amazing you know there's and that's something that gay you know studying something university or film school wherever you you just have the facility that i mean having said that you know lots is you know because of online platforms you know a lot of it is completely available but it's just the concentrated and it's also the people you're with i think that's a big 
part of education is that you're learning off the other people who are you're you're with and working alongside and i think you know that so from that perspective i can totally get why people do yeah amazing opportunity yeah definitely so what does your average day on set look like yeah i mean well i think you know one of the things that appeals to me is that they're very rarely the same so i mean i i do enjoy the you know whether you're on a film or a commercial a music video you know that big part of it is that you're trying to do something every day you're trying to do something different so that kind of you know as, as, a, as a job that's I think quite quite rare where you just basically never know what you're going to I mean you know what you're going to get up to but inevitably how you do things changes all the time because of things that are happening completely outside of your control definitely so you've obviously you were there for um when we people still shot in film i'm assuming some people still do shoot in film no no we do yeah yeah yeah. i mean i think i've got i'm doing something in a couple of weeks where we're gonna shoot on film so it's still it's still hanging in there ah that's pretty cool how has your job changed since you began working in this world so i've been doing this for a long time i'm trying to think when i started early 90s so what's that um yeah so the the technological change have been immense it's like i I don't know how you describe it there's not one word to describe how things (laughs) have moved on and how the technology just from the point of view of cameras cameras kind of every year every 18 months a new camera comes along so then that's insane i mean you know for 70 80 years the cameras were essentially very straightforward did a very simple thing or did a very complicated thing in a very simple way was you know absolutely reliable and the actual technology although it was complicated was quite in you know understandable to the layman to the layman it was you know film went through a small thing called the gate there was a lens there was a strip of film that went through there was a battery that powered it or before that it was hand cranked and the film started in the dark and ended in the dark so it didn't uh, get exposed other than through the light that went through the lens so, you know, essentially, if you break it down, a film camera was, you know, very, very complicated, but essentially quite straightforward. And then along comes electronic cameras and digital cameras and standard def, high def, different resolutions, you know, HD, 2K, 4K, 8K, uh, you know, <laughs> and everything kind of explodes. Everything gets more complicated. Essentially, modern cameras are a computer with a lens, if you like. And it's kind of, we all know how frustrating computers can be. And then, you know, put that computer yep. out in the rain, it's going to go really well. You know, so it's like, <laughs> I think, you know, the technological change has been kind of, you know, just incredible. Uh, but it, what it does afford you is how you do things as you now have the tools to do things complete, you know, in a very simple way or in a super, super complicated mm. way. And, you know, that introduces lots and lots of things that you can do now that, are very different from 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, and then just taking it from cameras and, you know, similarly with lighting, lighting is kind of going through this kind of complete industrial change where we used to work with tungsten lights, with incandescent light and HMI lights. And so what's changing in that world is everything's moving towards LED and LEDs, that technology gives you, you know, a huge amount of control that you didn't have before and you know there you can the things you can do with led lighting now is kind of incredible so you know so many yeah. things are changing so rapidly 
uh, you know, you have to stay on top of it, but it once you kind of, or if you keep your head kind of wrapped around it, you, you know, more and more possibilities keep opening up, which is amazing. Just in terms of the lighting aspect, how do you know how to light something? Again, I know it's really obscure question No, 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 ask. it's not. I mean, it, um, <laughs> in as much as how does anybody when they're working on something i think it's more what maybe the way to try and understand it is how do you know if you're if you're lighting something how do you know when it's lit because it, it's mm. so subjective it's so kind of a feeling uh, that you're trying to create a certain atmosphere that you know you, inevitably one of the factors is time so you're working your your working day is scheduled you've got a certain amount of time to do this scene that scene the next scene and so you're rolling along and you kind of know that the limitations, essentially, as much as they're in your imagination, it's the very sort of hard fact that you've got a certain amount of work to achieve in your day. And that's inevitably the overriding kind of impetus to know when something's lit because you've got to finish that scene to move on to the next scene to have time to finish the last scene of the day. So, you know, yeah. your approach to lighting has to keep all of that kind of uh, juggling with all those kind of different factors but you know still trying to achieve artistically what you kind of set out to do just in relation to that then like what inspires you <laughs> every uh, massive i don't think i've got time to answer that one no no i mean yeah everything i mean i, I think you got, you've got to take all your influences where you can get them and they can be anything i think you know you know partly why i do lots of still photography i think that that just concentrates my mind say looking through a camera and taking photos you know whether they're moving pictures or still pictures it it keeps you thinking about what you're looking at and it's kind of looking at the world and trying to understand it and then kind of using that in how in the stuff that you do but it can be anything I mean I, I don't think there's ever any one thing that kind of has an overriding influence I think it's so many you know it's like how your coffee was in the morning you know that kind of have an effect on a choice you make a couple of hours later whether you you got lost on the way to work that can affect what you do you know I mean, endless you know there's so many permutations about why you end up making the choices you make when you're shooting something but actually that's i've never thought about it that way but actually that is probably true what happens when something goes wrong well things go wrong all the time it's just it's i think that's what in a weird way that's part of fun of the job is that because you can't things are gonna not pan out how you kind of plan them and the whole game about pre-production and planning is you're trying to think of all the possibilities and the factors that are going to have an influence on how you do what you do inevitably mm. things don't always occur and how you know pan out how you think they will and mm. uh so things you know it's the, the the simplest one there is weather so you you script wise you might yeah. be saying right be brilliant if you've got blue skies and white, fluffy white clouds or be amazing if it's the whole scene we can shoot in the rain or the uh, horizontal sleep you know, but it's like <laughs> certain, you, you know, it, what has got better with technology is uh, weather forecasting. I did a film a couple of years ago where we shot up a mountain for six months, uh, six weeks. And um, wow. it, I think we shot for 40 days and we there was, wasn't a single day we lost because of bad weather. Because in the story, we had days when we knew we wanted fantastic weather and days when we wanted appalling uh, whiteouts up a mountain, lots of snow. And because the <laughs> AD and the directors were completely, the way they planned it is to be able to jump around from scene to scene. So with not a huge amount of disruption, because they kind of factored it in, if we knew 24 yeah. hours ahead that the 
it was going to be snowing. We just swapped things around and did the scenes where we wanted snow. So just because weather forecasting's getting better and better and more accurate, we didn't. We uh, we literally didn't miss a day's filming. So that's amazing. Mm. Totally, and the predictability is something that's really helpful. But inevitably, it's still not a hundred percent. You know, <laughs> I mean, doing the same film ten years ago, you would have been sitting around often because you'd start a scene and then, you know, in come the black clouds and the, the snow. So that, that simple kind of improvement of or how technology works in our lives was amazing. Yeah. Um, so what, so it would be a job where you've been given the script or there's a specific scene and you're like, how are we going to do this? How is this going to work? But um, inevitably you have, it has happened. How have you gone through that process? Good. I mean, just generally, I think in, what we do there's never enough time so you're always trying to achieve something really interesting and you know limited resources and limited time so you you, it's I think you know essentially thinking on your feet because you're even if you're you're not shooting but you're prepping potentially you're prepping maybe three or four different sets so you're always kind of juggling where, you know, just physically where you are in prep because you might need to light a set in a studio. You might need to be kind of thinking about how you're going to light a night exterior. So it's all about kind of, yeah, making the most of your time. So you kind of, it's about, yeah, trying to be efficient and stuff like that. So I think, I don't think it's any thing specific to cinematography it's every within filmmaking mm. it's yeah everybody has the same pressures definitely um so that brings me on to my final question which is what are your three to watch recommendations well I, i've got two to watch and one to read is that is that legal yeah no that's um, totally <laughs> the documentary there's an amazing documentary called sans soleil stunless which is by oh. the director's guy called chris marker who he also made a film called, or anything by him, a film called Le Jeté, which is the film that 12 Monkeys is based on. So amazing. But Sans Soleil is an amazing documentary. A must oh, watch. Must watch. What's it about? Uh, I don't know. I still haven't worked that one out. It's about everything. Oh, okay. It's, it's one a, of those. It's a phenomenal, okay, it's a phenomenal <laughs> bit. Of, it's, a, yeah, it's an amazing kind of, I don't know, you have to watch it because it's, it's a very kind of... Um, it's just really interesting piece of filmmaking, just image-wise and story-wise. It's just worth a look. Ah, should add that to the list. What's your second one? Uh, so I don't know, trying to choose a feature film or, or a narrative film, impossible because there's so many brilliant films. But I think it, it ended up being The Third Man is one of my favourites uh, by Carol yeah. Reed. It's an amazing kind of post-war film about set in Vienna and it's shot by a DP called Robert Krasker and it looks amazing amazing everything about the film is amazing yeah, yeah no it's very good very good they are both added to the list and your third one a book a book yeah and anything by is a writer called W.G. Seaborg who is huh. amazing I think he might have been Austrian or German no German I think he was German uh yeah he was oh. a German writer I think pre-war maybe born just before the Second World War. But any, anything by him, amazing. What's your favourite book uh, of his? I think Austerlitz, a book called Austerlitz. Well, Rings of Saturn. They're all, any, they're all very, very good. I don't think I'd say there's one <laughs> favourite. Yeah, they sit, they sit really well as a kind of group of books. Um, what are they, has he got like a theme to his books? Does he write a, write a specific type and, of book? Again, unquantifiable. They're, they're just really, okay. <laughs> they're just really interesting books. <laughs> 
Fair enough. Um, thank you. Thank you for your recommendations, Danny. And thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been really interesting. Brilliant. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Danny. Tune into the next episode where I'll be speaking to assistant costume designer Samantha Keeble. And if you get a moment, could you please like, follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the Crew Chats podcast on Instagram. Thank you.